This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. And you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not having fun doing it, you're gonna give up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Steve Kabuchi, uh, guitarist for Wolves at the Gate, whose upcoming album, Eulogies, is out March 11th via Solid State Record. Uh, this was a really fun chat. Uh, we basically kind of uh, talked about Steve's actually lack of social media presence and how uh, kind of me going through just to kind of find something to talk about uh, led to me finding out that, you know, he, when he's not in the band, uh, has what appears to be a very successful career uh, as a carpenter. And I mean, just the attention to detail that, you know, when he posts the photos, when he does uh, of the work that he's doing, it's just, it's so detailed and so much attention to detail, which I think obviously speaks for itself when you are in a craft uh, world like that, uh, that you have to pay the utmost attention to everything because it's, it's just, it's those little nuances that just set everything off. Uh, and so I've never really talked to anyone that's kind of been in that realm, um, so it was one of those where I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about it and, you know, find maybe some parallels between his job as a carpenter and what he has taken into being a musician professionally and so forth and uh, some of the skill sets uh, that, he, you know, kind of apply between the two. Uh, and, and it was kind of actually interesting. Uh, I, I, sometimes when I ask some of these kind of questions, I'm always like, ah, is there really even a parallel or is it just kind of like this weird thing I'm thinking? And, and then it's just going to be like, no, not really. Uh, so <laughs> it was one of those where I was, I was glad that there actually was, uh, some parallels as you'll hear. Um, and the funny thing is, is, and this is about a week late, uh, because I have actually been going through house buying stuff, uh, lately. And one of the things that we were doing was I've been tearing up all the carpet in my house. And, uh, for those watching on the Patreon, you can kind of see the wood flooring I have in, in my office. Uh, that basically runs throughout my whole house uh, and has been under the carpet that's been in most of the house. And, I went to tear up the carpet in my dining room and I thought like, oh, it looks like from the hallway, it looks like it leads right in there. Tore off a section of the carpet and it's a subfloor. 
Uh, so I basically had to call in some friends, uh, went and bought some flooring, and we have been working on that uh, since. Um, but we just a lot of projects going on in the house, a lot of uh, things going on with buying a house. If you've never done it, I don't encourage it. It is a lot of uh, things going back and forth, a lot of communicating, a lot of paperwork, a lot of double checking things, numbers, and oh, it's so fucking stupid. Um, so it is what it is on that. But uh, so that's why this episode's coming a week later. Um, but don't fret, I do have something extra for uh, holding you over in that time. Um, and without taking any more of your time, let's get into my chat with Steve. And I will talk to you on the other side of it. Today, I... You are the second time that's ever happened in the five plus years of doing this show. I completely oh, yeah. don't worry like, about it. It's, it's no big deal. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those where like time is important. We don't have a lot of it. I actually just was uh, doing like a Patreon video thing that I do where I talk about. I call it what I learned from a podcast. And mm-hmm. the concept initially was to talk about things I learned from listening to other podcasts, like a topic I thought was interesting what I've since learned is that it usually applies to either a conversation I've had on this or um, something that's happened in my life as a result of trying to do the podcast. And I was talking about how I was just feeling like really stretched thin that I didn't have enough time between like the three jobs I was working, trying to do this, trying to send out emails, finding time to spend with my wife and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, Mm -hmm. I am just spread so fucking thin that I need to like have the power of learning the relearning the power of no. Like, yeah, I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, Hey, what are you doing? And like, and I go, you know what? No, like I'm not even going to remotely try to make plans with you because I don't have any time. And all it's going to do is cause an issue later on that I'm going to feel bad about. So, yeah, no, I totally get you, man. Like, yeah, I I have a tendency to, to do the same thing. Just take on a bunch of stuff and then you're spread too thin. And then, because the things I, I do, I want to do well, you know? I don't want to just do like a, a C-plus version of a <laughs> bunch of things. You know, I'd rather do an A-plus version of a few things. So I, I get that. Well, I mean, I, I mean, this is kind of something I was rem- possibly interested in talking to you about, because uh, this is more really just a conversation as opposed to me being like, so the new record, I heard it, and we're going to talk about these things, because, I mean, you're going to probably do a bunch of those, or your band's going to do a bunch of those, so it's just yeah. easier to to just talk. But, I mean, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, kind of going through some of the socials I was able to find of yours, you know, you do carpentry and stuff like that, and I feel mm-hmm. like that is, and based on some of the photos I've seen of your work, that is such a like an attention to detail down to the last thing where you have to give a shit basically because it will show Uh, and it may not show right now, but it will, your, your laziness will find its way very quickly to, to people. Yeah, definitely. Do you you feel like that's kind of prepared you more to, to kind of have that mentality? You know, I, I probably, got a lot of that from my dad um so like growing up you know, my dad had owned a, a remodeling company you know for he ended up having it for like 35 years and so wow that's that was 
always something I was exposed to, you know, pick me up after school and we would go install kitchen cabinets and, you know, seeing the attention to detail that my dad has, um, it definitely left an impression on me, especially because it's not, it wasn't so much about him, but more so the service to the customer wanting to give them a really quality product and wanting to give them something that lasts too, which is exactly kind of what you were alluding to. You know, my dad, you know, he always kind of impressed upon me this idea of like, yeah, like, you know, take the time, do it right. It's going to, and it'll pay dividends. And one of the guys that I learned under was this German carpenter named Hans, who, I mean, he was like to the T about everything. You know, if I was using any tool outside of what that tool is supposed to be used for, he's like, put it down. That's not <laughs> what that tool's used for. And it was, it was frustrating, you know, for me as a teenager, you're just like, I can't do it. Why can't I do anything right? But I, I learned as I got older, it's like, yeah, right tool for the right job. Obviously, obviously within reason, but also there's always, there's a reason why, you know, whoever designed the tool did that for a reason. And, um, it's to serve this purpose because when you need it to do that, you, you don't, don't use your chisels to try and, you know, do demolition. You need your chisels when you're trying to do fine carpentry. So, yeah, all those sorts of principles, I think, carried over into a lot of places in my life. How do you think that that has carried over into your guitar playing? Um, it definitely has taught me to um, be efficient, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so like, honestly, I, I am not the most technical guitar player, um, but just like I'm not the best woodworker, um, you learn how to use the tools that you have and to, and to hone, find out what you're good at, hone that craft and do that well, you know? Um, and so like, I'm not trying to be, you know, Steve Vai or you know Joe Satriani, <laughs> some guitar virtuoso, but I realized that you know my my voice in guitar playing and also my actual voice, you know, I'm not ever going to sound like some of these incredible singers um, who have super smooth and clean voices, but learn how to use my voice um, in a way that suits the skills that I have and, and the experience I have. And so, um, yeah, not trying to tackle something that's beyond me. Um, trying to tackle something that's maybe a little bit ahead and, and give me something to reach for. And that's what causes me to grow. And I do the same thing with like, you know, the projects I do outside of music, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely translates. It's funny. I, <laughs> I saw that you uh, have three kids, which first and foremost, I saw that like two of them are twins, which uh, <laughs> it's funny. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who has triplets and yeah. Uh, I had made the comment to him initially. I would like when he found out he was having the triplets, I was like, do you feel like it's easier to have like <laughs> them all at once and them all be the same age? Roughly, at least within this case, all of them have to be the same age versus kind of staggering out. Maybe like we wanted three over like three, mm -hmm. four years intervals or whatever. How, how was that to kind of prepare for? We are like, Oh, we're having two <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. Like, Ooh, that's a lot. And then yeah. just kind of the process of uh, growing as a person with, with your kids. Yeah. Well, my wife is a triplet. 
So Oh wow, really? Yeah, so we if, uh, that I already knew. Obviously, you don't assume when you find out you're pregnant, you don't go how many. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a litter. <laughs> yeah, you know, um but when we found out she was pregnant, there was that thought of like it could be three, you know. <laughs> um it definitely made there are certain things that it makes very difficult as opposed because mm-hmm. we've we've had a, a third who's just single, you know, yeah. one shot. <laughs> uh, and he was a lot easier in certain aspects, but more difficult in others. Like once our kids got to around like nine months, 10 months, they started entertaining each other. Mm. And that was huge. Um, but, you know, like with our our when our youngest philip was nine months you know he couldn't really interact with the kids yet but he couldn't really play by himself like he would play by himself for like 10 15 minutes the twins nowadays honestly if you just put food on the table (laughs) you won't see them all day you know they're just off in their own world and so like that part of it is really cool and they've got a best friend you know so the things, you know, the, the, like the zero sleep for nine months was insane, you know, uh, not ever getting to eat a meal without like, you know, like feeding, holding a bottle, trying to eat, you know, um, all that kind of stuff, you know, just constantly changing diapers. I smell like a diaper all the time. (laughs) So all those things. Yeah. Those are the cons. Everything's twice, but there were a lot of cool pros to having two at once. It's kind of made me wonder, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, that are touring musicians and that play music for a profession. You know, I know eventually, you know, a lot of people will have kids and it's not an abnormality in any any shape. But it does make me wonder, and I've not really talked to anyone that's, you know, the kids are still young and they're still kind of in the throes of, uh, for lack of a better term, still like building their band and their brand. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you guys are still on the climb that what has having kids while you're still like kind of in, in the middle of the journey of the band and growing it, what is it kind of taught you about the band maybe as, as becoming a new younger parent? Yeah. I mean, it definitely just changed. It changed a lot of things like how I think and what's important, how I'm going to spend my time, you know, so many things changed, you know, when you were, talking at the beginning when we were chatting just about being spread thin you know my time got that so much more important to me than it ever had been in my whole life you know um obviously being single time you just do you know (laughs) just do whatever you want you know and then i got married and obviously you know my wife that i love and i want to spend time with her and help her and serve her you know but then when you have kids it's like it's like this whole it becomes like fractional you know it's it your time gets shrunk down to these small sections and and so when we think about tours when i think about um writing music how am i going to do that in a way that nobody else suffers really mm-hmm. you know um th- th- that cost and and so what happened for me was i just decided okay i'm only going to pick up a guitar once everybody's asleep so kids go to bed you know, spend time with the kids, put them to bed, spend time with my wife, then she goes to sleep, <laughs> then I stay up and I work on music. And that was kind of the deal that I, you know, my wife and I liked and felt like it gave us a healthy family dynamic. 
Um, thankfully I don't need a lot of sleep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so that worked out well, but then as for touring is just being, being really sure about the tours that we take, that this is something that we're behind as a family. And, um, yeah, that my wife feels like she can, she can handle the amount of time or whatever it may be. So I feel like that's kind of the interesting thing you know, as you know, now I'm looking at 38, almost 40 now. And it's one of those where, you know, like right now, my wife and I are in the process of buying this house that, you know, we've been in for the last 12 years. And it's, it's just so weird because it's like, you feel like you have a handle on life and you know what, what to do and how to live it. You're like, all right, this is my life. And I know how to, how to best go about it. And then you go through something like the process of buying a house and you're like, I don't know shit. And like, where do I even go to start getting this information? And like, then it's like, okay, like do we get a house inspection? Well, of course you would. But then you're like, well, then is like the landlord that we're buying from going to feel like weird. And it is weird. Like we have gotten the question of like, well, why do you need an inspection? You've been living there for 12 years. And it's like, well, I'm not going to throw, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at something sight unseen and just not know like who would do that. Yeah. But it's this process of kind of becoming an adult, adult loosely uh, where you're just like, I feel so overwhelmed by something that should kind of not be as overwhelming as it is. And I feel like that's just, that's been life at times, like where it's like, you know, no one talks about finding a balance in your life or getting married. And, you know, it's funny talking to some friends, you know, I had someone tell me, you know, when I got engaged to my wife, it was like, oh man, when you get married, everything changes. And I'm like, what changes? I live with them. I've lived (laughs) with them for the last like four or five years. Like, like, I don't think putting on a ring all of a sudden they're just like, okay, now you get to see the real me, like, or vice versa. Like, I'm not going to do that either. Like, all right, I, I hooked you in. Like now strap in for the real ride. Like, I don't think that that happens, but it is interesting to just see and hear how people kind of traverse things differently and how I, I, I sometimes do wish there was more communication between people where you're like, all right this is how you kind of prepare to be an adult and live life. And I, and I just feel like finding balance in one's life is a huge thing. And I feel like we just typically don't talk about it. And I feel like we're now getting to that point where people are like, I'm stressed out. I'm fatigued. I'm overworked. And and it leads to all these other issues, uh, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be personally, financially, whatever. And I feel like it's just a talking point that is interesting to me uh, as, yeah. as I get older, where I'm just like, man, like how, how do you live life? What, what do you do? Maybe you'll have a piece of information where uh, it will help me in my life and, and I can take it with me uh, and apply it somewhere. So it's always just interesting to kind of have these conversations, but yeah, I think finding balance is so hard and finding what works for everybody, but uh, having the, having the wherewithal to even have that conversation, I think is huge. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, the reason why it probably seems like, you know, why isn't there a preparation for this or where, where can I get answers is for a number of reasons. One, you know, whatever we kind of say is important to us as a society. Um, we're all affected by that, you know, whether it's through, you know, um, just, the proximity of who you're around and you know if you're around a lot of people that say work is everything it's so easy for work to be everything or if you're around a lot of people where it's family is everything um everybody's like depending on where you are that kind of informs how you look at the whole world um yeah and um you know also generations are all different you know i grew up 
in a generation where, um, like, so my parents, that whole generation, they were telling their kids, you have to go to college. That's the move, you know? And obviously I graduated college in 2008 when the economy fell apart, <laughs> you know? So here I had this massive student debt and um, there's no jobs, <laughs> you know? Um, and I went and I, the only way I was really able to find work that paid well was to go do the thing that I did before that didn't require a college degree, which was um, being a carpenter um, and working in the, in the trades. Um, but, you know, yeah, we're always just kind of victims to what the, the world at large is kind of saying is important. And, you know, the reality is, is we have to get educated by life. You know, mm. like I remember, yeah, when we bought our house, I didn't know anything about mortgages. I didn't know anything about real estate and, you know, you get educated and it's important to get educated, <laughs> not quick. just trust. Yeah. Oh, well, the real estate agent said, you know, it's like, you know, try and take ownership of the things that like, I'm going to own this house. I want to, I want to understand this system, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can be responsible with this opportunity I have. Cause here's the other thing. Not a lot of people, there's a lot of people who can't, own their own homes you yeah. know so if i have been given that that privilege and the opportunity i want to be a good steward of that so yeah it's just life is just a series of being educated on so many things like yeah like being a homeowner being a, a husband being a father you know for me is being like or being a good employee or being uh you know good at my job or you know being a good guy to the guys we tour with like all of it, all of it's an education. I had to learn all those things, like even just touring, like tour etiquette, how to, how to like be respectful of the tour manager and really think about him, you know, cause he's got a hard job. I don't want to make his job difficult. The sound guy, you know, um, uh, all those things, the lighting guy, the people at the venue, the promoter, all that stuff. You have to get that education. And some people just don't care. And that's, you know, yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know, in, in my interactions within like the touring industry and so forth, how I feel like it's one that weeds out people who are, for the most part, <laughs> weeds out people who are just not good people. Like, I think, it, I think intrinsically, it's such an interesting world because like you said, like a TM, like it is it's a job and it's, it's kind of a very interesting thing. Like you have your hierarchy of like, okay, here's your TM. He's basically like the boss. Mm -hmm. You have all the employees, you have all the people. And it is interesting that somebody might be like, well, the merch guy or the, the tech or whatever, it's not an, a glamorous, important job, but it is because like, you know, like your stage production person, your tech person, like whatever, like those are the people that get in there early, set everything up, run through everything. So like literally you guys show up for sound check. Hey, sounds great. Good. Got it dialed in. And the show sounds and runs the way it does. And it takes everybody. Mm -hmm. And it can, the one thing, like, you know, one person having a bad day, whatever, can kind of affect the whole tour. And yeah. it's just so interesting to see in such an insulated world, because instead of like a job where, you know, you go in, clock in, put in your, you know, however many hours and then leave a tour, it's like, no, we, we literally are traveling together. And in some instances, you know, if you're doing bus shares and stuff like that, like you have to live with these people. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you get no reprieve. Uh, yeah. if you're having a bad day or having a bad interaction with someone. It's like, you either have to learn how to communicate and address those things and be like, Hey man, like, let me help you. Let me pick you up, whatever, you know, and kind of be there for you. Uh, because if you 
that just keeps going or someone's not working. Like I have seen, and I know from personal experience there, there, there is a bandwagon person. They did something the band didn't like, and they were gone two days into the tour, <laughs> two days into yeah. the tour. And I was like, that's how it is though. Like they touring world, like they don't give a fuck, man. They will cut you because like, it needs to be a harmonious atmosphere. Yeah. And that's the thing that like, I have tried to apply at a, in other facets of, of my own life. Like just having seen that where it's like, be a good dude, be the dude that is willing to put in the work, help other people be there for people because like, that's how like just being a good person. And I feel like, I see so much of that and all the band people I've ever met and that I'm friends with. It's like, I see that when I go see those people, it's like, you know, this person's a good person. And, you know, like, you know, a funny phrase, uh, someone told me once they're like, I knew you were going to be a good person. Cause like I'm friends with Porter from Atreyu and I know he's a good dude and he only has good people around him. Like he surrounds himself with good people. So if you know him and you're friends with him, I know you're a good dude by proximity. And yeah. I feel like the touring world in the music industry is so much of that is like, I know you through somebody else. So I know you're a good person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the one thing that you brought up was the one thing I always think about in regards to touring, you know, um, is honestly just being considerate. Mm. Right. You know, naturally we're all kind of selfish people. You know, we think about ourselves and hopefully as you like live in society, you learn that the world doesn't revolve around you. Just go to an airport and tell me <laughs> the world revolves around you. No, it does not. No, it does Every, not care about and you. Everyone at the airport thinks that that airport exists for them. The plane is taken off to get me to where I'm going. Not these hundred other people. Yeah. Like never in the world have I felt more like an ant when I'm at an airport, people will just walk over you, you know? Um, but anyway, with touring, the thing that is so dumb is you always have to get over this like stupid competitive thing that bands can have with each other and just realize like, Hey, we're a team. Like you, I may be one of four bands on a bill, but like we all got to work together and I got to do my job well. So if you're getting in the way of me doing my job, that actually might get in the way of the headliner doing his job and we're all kind of here at their behest, you know, we're there because they let us come to their party. Yeah. So, you know, there were lots of things that we learned that we were ignorant to and tour managers were kind enough. Sometimes they would say it nicely. Sometimes they would not say it nicely. Um, but like we learned those lessons, you know, and that's exactly what you're saying is like, we should care about the whole show too, as a band. Um, and so like, if we can help guys, if we got all our stuff off stage and we can help the next band get their stuff on stage, you know, let's, let's do that because, you know, we want to keep this thing rolling. Um, and so there's so many ways that like, uh, yeah, it can be, if maybe if other guys and bands are listening, like just try to be considerate of each other because we're all just trying to do the same thing. And, you know, the reality is, is that just looking out for yourself doesn't actually make it easier it just makes the tour manager angry um, in which a happy TM is a good tour. So <laughs> keep it that way. I think what's interesting, you know, the other thing too, and kind of getting really inside baseball is it, it, it always is interesting to me and I haven't seen it much. Um, I think one of the few times I've seen it was like the falling in reverse. I see stars let live tour like forever ago. And I remember obviously uh, Ronnie calling out the IC stars camp for something that pissed him off and here in GR in grand Rapids. And then like the next day it spilled over into the show in Detroit. I think he kicked him off the tour, whatever. And 
it was one of those things like touring is such like especially in in metal and hard rock and all that kind of stuff touring already is hard enough like no one's really typically making money so it's like you got to really do it for the passion and the love of doing it but beyond that the thing that always is interesting to me is why would you put someone down because the the numbers the business side of it the numbers are what's going to happen so if all of you work well together to maximize what's coming in the door as far as attendance that only does well for all of you because then anybody else that you're projected to look at as a tour like you know you might be the headliner on a on a club tour but maybe that that arena band is looking for the first uh, like the, another band to open their package tour in arenas and it's like okay your numbers you did this so it only would make sense to play ball with everyone and play nice to to have all your numbers look the best they can so you all can keep progressing and getting on these these tours and bigger look tours. So I never have understood why somebody will kind of shit on somebody mid-tour or whatever. It's like, look, you may not like them, but at the end of the day, it's still a business and it and you would do better by your business to do good business. Yeah. And I've never understood that because it just seems like it'll always inevitably come back and bite you in the ass eventually. Yeah. No, I, I remember uh, one of the first full U.S. tours we did uh, was with Unearth and mm. the guys at Unearth. One of the first things the singer said to me that uh, I just thought was like really good wisdom. He said, he says, be nice to everybody on the way up because you're going to see him on the way down, too. Yep. You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I just thought it was more so cool uh, that he had that mentality after doing it for so long. Um and I, it is important, you know, I mean, you never know, you know, this, you know, we did a tour where the band Paris was the opener. I'd never heard of them before and they opened the tour and look at them now, you know, um, they're, you know, they're a huge band and that's not the, that's not the only story we, we've, we've never, we've never been that band for anybody else, but we've been <laughs> on those tours with those bands that like were, yeah, weren't that big or new. And then all of a sudden they're like the next big thing, you know, and it's not like it did, it benefited us at all, but like, hopefully we were uh, like good dudes to them to help them along in their journey too, because it's just, it's not easy. Touring's not easy trying to figure it out. It's like a whole other world, you know, you like, you just kind of enter it and there's no, there's no book. There's no one kind of tells you what to do. There is a book. <laughs> There is the uh, like there actually I think there's a couple like how to book your own fucking life and uh, I think there was like a tour for dummies book like way back in the day so there are books but <laughs> well the tour manager doesn't give you a book yeah exactly you know you get your dailies <laughs> yeah yeah he basically says you need to be here at this time and get your stuff off stage yeah you know so yeah what a, you know something I I find interesting because I know you guys have been a band roughly since like 2008 and you you said that you had graduated uh, college in 2006 so you know kind of quickly doing math that would have put you around your your early 20s of starting to tour and all that kind of stuff what has what is touring at such a young age how do you think it has shaped you as an adult you know getting to see the world getting to see things that people don't get to see, you know, cause you know, something I, I find interesting is, you know, and I know it's a, it's a loud vocal minority, but you see online, a lot of people spouting their, their ideals of you know, political beliefs, uh, you know, religious beliefs and all this kind of stuff, but they, they don't have any 
real life experience to kind of go, well, I've seen firsthand going to these different cities. I, I've learned about different cultures and different, you know, the world that, you know, the U S and, and kind of seeing, you know, these little pockets, uh, and things like that. And then getting to see the world and seeing how people are different. Uh, I feel like can't, can't not change your worldview and your outlook on life. How has doing it so long and especially at a young age, how has it affected you growing up? Yeah. I mean, yeah, perspective, you know, um, it's, it's broadened my perspective, you know, and I, I've, I've learned a lot. Yeah. Honestly, I've learned a ton from touring that has nothing to do with music. Um, you know, so often I'm talking to people that I know and I just sometimes I'm like, I wish that they could have experienced some of the things I experienced because, you know, we live in this social media world where everyone is categorized based off of like, honestly, a few minor details, um, that we make into major, um, descriptions of who people are, you know, um, basically, um, your ethnicity, mm-hmm. your political, your political values and your religious values. And, but none of them actually get to the heart of what really anybody believes or what they're like, you know, they're basically like, if, if somebody said like, paint me a realistic portrait of somebody, those are stick figures. <laughs> those those three categories are stick figures. You really don't know whatever it is you think you know. Um, and so, like, whatever you've thought about homeless people, probably throw it out the window. There may be some stereotypes that apply, but by and large, they're people. They are people who have had experiences maybe that you can't understand. Um, they're not just guys looking for alcohol. Some of them are. Some of them are looking for drugs. But why? Also, what for what reason? Maybe you'd be looking for drugs if you went through some of the stuff they went through. Um, so like, and that's just a small picture of it. You know, traveling to Europe was was awesome. Just getting to meet people from all these different cultures. And also, you know, they pay attention to our politics. I love hearing what they think about, you know, as like <laughs> an objective observer, you know. Um, and also talking to them like, hey, what are like, what are big issues in your country? And what's crazy is they're all so similar, just the angle uh, that it's approached at is different. Um, and even religion, you know, how, um, yeah, how that's perceived and it's all it's different country to country too. Um, you know, talk, talking to somebody from Denmark and some, talking to somebody from Germany, two totally different perspectives, even on w- what I believe. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I think there's a degree to which you know, we dehumanize each other very easily um, by just saying, oh, you're this ethnicity, you, you're politically X and your beliefs are X. So you are this. And that's all I have the beholder. It's not actually knowing the person. And so that's been like a huge thing for me. It's caused me to be more patient mm-hmm. and um, to be slower about the judgments that I would make about somebody um, because you find out that you're wrong or that it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't help you, you know, connect with that person, doesn't help you serve that person, doesn't help you like be kind to that person. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a pretty transformative experience for me and, and humbling too. I think that's one of the things that I, I just 
I found interesting in the last, you know, 10 years or so being with my wife and traveling more of the U S and seeing so many different things, you know, like I'm originally from the East coast and to me, like, it's funny. I've lived here in Michigan more than I ever lived back home where I'm from initially, but I still, when I go back home or I find people from the East coast, I still feel this connection deep down where I'm like, these are my people. Like yeah. <laughs> I gravitate toward them for some reason. Like the vibe is just more mine. Um, and it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, you know, you, you, you kind of feel like that whole, um, the concept of nature versus nurture kind of a deal going on. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to kind of see that at play. And when you go other places, like, you know, they're one of the the only tours, really one of the few tours I've done. I remember going to, to Greenbrier, Tennessee, and this, t- this kid, as soon as we got out of our, our uh, vehicle was like, Oh, are you guys all from Michigan with a thick ass accent? And then was like, do y'all like ICP? And I was like, holy shit, is that really what you think of, <laughs> of us? Is that like, <laughs> we're from Michigan, so we must love ICP? Like, okay. But like, it was a weird turning point where I was like, okay, like there are interesting stereotypes of people from wherever, even if it's not true. But yeah, it, it's interesting to kind of go through, like, you know, being from Delaware and uh, where I'm from initially you know, it was the culture around there was we were the first state where you're a part of the first 13 original states that's that set up the foundation of what would become the Americas. And there's this sense of pride of, you know, being the foundation and the building block for what would become the whole country. And it's weird when you kind of have that instilled in you at a young age to then move here in the Midwest. And it's like, you do like, that's only a week course, you know, a week in, yeah. in history class. And, you know, <laughs> finding out that like the whole school's gone for a week because there's hunting season, which I had never grown up. Or seen. <laughs> yeah. And, but then you go to other places and like, you know, now that I've been to, you know, like new Orleans and kind of seeing how, you know, that city has come up and and feeling this energy because of all of the horrible events that have happened to it as a as a city, as a culture, you know, the floods taking out things and, and kind of this weird kind of spirits, uh, an essence that it has and kind of seeing how, you know, the religious aspect of a lot of things like, you know, my wife and I went and did one of those graveyard tours. Oddly, though, it was you had to pay this one church or this affiliate to go into it, but it wasn't the denomination of the people that were buried in there, which I thought was really weird, but it kind of goes back into this whole thing of like separation of church and state and and churches can be in it for the money and their businesses too. And, and all this kind of weird stuff when you kind of start looking at things, but just kind of culturally, it's just so interesting to go and, and kind of absorb it. And I'm very excited eventually to go overseas and just kind of, have that culture shock of like, all right, like, you know, I, I hopefully the first thing someone says to me isn't you do like ICP or do you like kid rock or whatever, but it is interesting. They'll ask you if you like Donald Trump. That's what they'll ask you. <laughs> no, <laughs> After, but you know, during, during that time politically, that was, what do you, what do you guys think of Donald Trump? I'm like, out of all the things we could talk about, this is what you want to talk about. <laughs> But I think that's kind of the interesting thing. You know, we were talking earlier about social media and it it, it connects us in a way, but it also disconnects us because yeah. the the trending topics, as it were, are not what everyone wants to talk about. No, it's it's not it's not um 
it's not represent it may be representative of maybe a majority but that majority may only be 33 percent you know that may be the biggest chunk but it's still only 33 percent you still have a whole mess of the rest of the country that's caring about a myriad of other things that don't get represented due to the algorithms you know um and so i i totally and i i completely agree it does disconnect us because it it base we basically are being told this is how you connect with each other by these trending topics yeah and it's not really the people who decide it's the algorithm that decides it's a computer program or it's the agenda of somebody else but you know i'm not going to get into that I'm, I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist but i also i don't i it doesn't wouldn't surprise me if there were conspiracies um you know but yeah it is it is sad that that's what what happens I, i'm from i'm from new jersey by the way so i definitely understand <laughs> when i tell people i'm from new jersey you can imagine all the stereotypes and i'm italian so, <laughs> you know jersey shore jersey shore and yeah. it's like you know they're like where's your accent and i'm like I lost that. I don't know. This is how I've always <laughs> talked. You know, not everybody talks like that. Well, I think like the interesting thing, you know, to me too. And I was thinking about this the other day as I saw, and I don't remember what the topic was that was trending on Twitter, but I was, I just had it up and was looking and I saw something and I was, Oh, it was around the NBA trade deadline. And so uh, I think CJ McCollum got traded and it was like Damian Lillard was trending. And I was like, Oh shit, are they going to trade Dame finally? And I clicked on it and it was just a, and then I saw how many tweets it was too. I think it was only like 1300, 1300 tweets, I think at the time, but it was like the number eight thing on my feed. And I was like, that's not really that much. And then everything I kept clicking for the most part was, uh, it was, it wasn't even people commenting on Dame, Dame leaving or anything like that. It was just like, I saw Dame was trending I, and I didn't know why. And then I was like, that is such a snapshot of social media existence. Like, yeah, I want to be a participant, but I have nothing to add to the actual topic at hand. But yeah. I'm adding to the yeah, thing to be a part of it. There. And yeah. it's almost like, you know, it, it's the, the first on Instagram. What did you like? You commented 10 seconds after I posted a photo first. What? Uh, OK. Other than just removing that and being you're the first here to comment on my post. You didn't even have time to take in whatever I wrote, whatever I posted. You're adding no value to what I'm what I'm doing, but you're simply the first. Yeah. Well, cool. What does that do? It changes the narrative to be about them and not about what you're trying to communicate. I guess. I feel like at times too, and as I get older and go to some of these these metal shows and stuff like that and hardcore shows, I feel like you know, I feel like when I go to, and I haven't been to tons of pop shows, but when I go to like pop and hip hop shows, I feel like people genuinely want to be there. Whereas when I go to some of these hardcore tours and stuff like that, I feel like it's, it's, I'm at the event that everyone's at. Let me tag myself here. Let me take the photo here. And it's so weird because I didn't, I growing up hardcore and metal and stuff like that never felt like that. It felt like the place where all the outcasts went, where we kind of were finally a part of something, a scene. But mm -hmm. it's so weird that it, it feels like the scene has become exactly what I was just saying. First, I'm a part of it, but you're not adding any value to it. And I well, think that's it's, so weird. It's not underground anymore. You know, um, aggressive music isn't underground music anymore. That's through social media and also just success of bands. 
you know, obviously there's been bands throughout the years who've paved the way, like Pantera and stuff like that. But, you know, um, now, like, a band can sound like Pantera and get played on radio stations, um, but and they wouldn't even be considered, you know, edgy, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, 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 underground music has has attained more commercial success, which I think is great, because if it's good music, it should be out there, you know? But I think what does happen then is there are those who are just a part of it because it seems cool rather than, like you said, an outlet for people that actually like alternative, something different than what the masses are into. And so it's just kind of, it's kind of duplicated itself with what, you know, mainstream music has done, which there's pros and cons to that, you know? So it's kind of a, a weird question. you know, as I, you know, got shop the, the email blast, you know, with the new video and the, the upcoming album and all that, you know, I went and checked out, you know, it, it's funny to me to go back and especially with a band that has the history to go back, read the comments on like the new stuff, read the comments on the old stuff, see some new comments on older material and things like that. And just kind of see how fans, cause they're super fickle and, and you know, everyone always says don't read the comments, but I, I do find it interesting in reading the comments. The one topic that I kept seeing brought up and I thought it was so interesting because it's, it's not, it has no bearing on to me, no bearing on the music is I kept seeing a lot of people, you know, from the old music to the new stuff. It's so refreshing and I'm paraphrasing, but it's so refreshing to see a band with strong Christian values, you know, spreading the word of God, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, but like that has nothing to do with the band necessarily. Like the members absolutely can have their faith and all that kind of stuff. And maybe some lyrical themes explore that. But I always have found it interesting and, you know, being of the age where, you know, solid state tooth and nail, like all the, the, the Christian metal core scene and all that kind of stuff that it's so interesting to see the fandom of it be like, so like it has to be interlocked like that. And it's like, you like, why, why can't this band be a, a Christian, a group of Christians who happen to be a band? Why does it have to be the identity and the the underlying factor of why you like this band so much? Like to me, I, I've always thought that was interesting, and I feel like at times must make it hard for the members of the bands to kind of find their way in life because there's the like we were saying earlier, there's the label of well, if you're a Christian metal band or you're a Christian, you must be these things in my yeah. eyes, and I feel like that makes it harder potentially to be just a person in a band because there's all these extra expectations and things that you have to be upheld to that others don't the standard. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's like two sides to that coin because um, you know, like we make the music we make because we felt like there was something that wasn't represented artistically and also like lyrically that we wanted to see represented. Mm -hmm. We wanted to do something that we wish we could hear growing up, you know? Um, and if we're doing that for people, I'm stoked. Uh, right. And if and if they're saying if they're making those comments because of that, I think that's awesome. Um, the other side of it, though, is there sometimes people just want to have this thing because it makes them feel good or safe, but they don't really actually care about the content or it checks off a box for them, hmm. you know, because you know th they're generally people in that realm. They just want to be able to say that they're listening to Christian music, but they don't actually really care about what, what makes something Christian, if that makes <laughs> sense. It's just, I, oh, good, I'm doing this. 
it checks off this box and I'm, I'm, I'm a good person or whatever. Like that bums me out because for those people, you know, we could be not Christian enough or <laughs> it's like, it's like saying, I, you know, like I'm, I'm not me enough. That's yeah. honestly, that's what it feels like at times. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's this two sided coin where, you know, there are people that want, I think, want it for the right reasons. And there's people that want it for the wrong reasons. They want us as like an idol, you know, um, which I hate, honestly, I, I despise that. I don't, we're not any, we're not, we're, we're terrible gods. We're terrible idols, <laughs> you know, um, we're, we're guys, we're broken people that are, that have, um, yeah, great need. And our songs are about grace. You know, our songs aren't about like, look how great I am or <laughs> look at how bold I am. Not, our songs are about the opposite. You know, we're, we're trying to show God to be the one who is wonderful and loving and, and fatherly and compassionate. Uh, and so I think what happens is that people have this idea of what they want and they get upset if we're not filling that box or they just kind of put us in that category rather than objectively, like you're saying, just look at, look at the content for what it is and consume it that way. And obviously there's people that were too religious for them, but I would say the same thing, you know, um, if you've listened and you've read the lyrics and you don't like it, that's fine. But the people that go, Oh, Christian band, not listening. It's like, if you knew what every guy in every band believed, you probably wouldn't listen to a lot of those bands or what they thought about the fans, you know? So, um, it's kind of got this strange dichotomy to it. Well, it was funny. And like, I, I feel like we're sort of beyond this being such a hot button topic, but like there was a time where when the Esley dying drama was, was fresh. And, you know, at the time, you know, we had, you know, famously, you might've seen the headline from Scott from uh, Zayo talking about how Tim doesn't even deserve a career anymore um, and all that kind of stuff. And, and there was such a polarizing thought process about how to deal with that. And a lot of times in the beginning of, of all of the developments of, of that story breaking and all that kind of stuff, there was this point where, you know, Tim had to go to, to prison and, and all this kind of stuff and, and basically atone for, for his sins and by how it was deemed like, this is what you did. This is the time you serve. And then it became this talking point of, well, Tim got out too early. And, you know, without getting into super specifics, like, you know, having had a friend who went to prison for, for something and, um, you know, having to go for a couple of years and, and it being a very severe thing of why they went, you know, it was very interesting for me to see how a, when the news of the, uh, the charges happened and what was coming from it and having this person's, you know, face plastered on, on social media, on the news sites and everything. And it was seeing everyone's reaction to, you can tell that they don't care and they, they are not remorseful from the mugshot. And it's like, like, you don't know that like all the comments and seeing how people reacted to it, reminded me of the things that Tim was going through where I was like, you know, Oh, the sentence doesn't fit the crime and da, da, da. And it's like, well, okay. Like let's look at it from a larger perspective. If you don't believe that the time served did anything, then that's not on the person that's yeah. on the system. And you yeah. need to look at the system and then go, okay, is the system broken? But then let's even look at it differently. It was judged. This is the amount of time for this crime. You served, you got done. If you don't feel like that person has been rehabilitated, then 
what is the proper amount of time? And who are you to say what the amount of time is? Who are you to judge the people? And the thing that was interesting about the process and something that that taught me from going through it with a friend and then kind of seeing the thing with Tim kind of play out was, you know, it speaks to this greater narrative, I think, of when when do you start, you know, because you, you made the comment and I, I love the, the phrase, you know, we're all broken and we're trying to, to be better. And the thing that was interesting about that to me is I feel like you're, you when, you know, when your life changes, it's like, you know, when you get caught by your parents doing something wrong, once you, the thing happens, you're changed mm-hmm. at that moment. And yeah. if you are a good person, then you're going to start being, the remorse is going to start kicking in. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. Okay. I got to apologize. I got to start, you get, you start doing the things internally to, to kind of work your way through it and start kind of rehabbing. And to me, to see so many people not willing to give someone that opportunity because they didn't fill enough, fulfill enough time, whatever, I think is the more interesting part. But I think speaks to potentially this thing in, in what I, I've noticed in, in kind of the Christian metal scene that they lo- the scene loves to build everyone up almost to kind of bring them down because it, they so they can feel better. Oh, I'm better than this person I built up makes mm-hmm. me feel about myself because I'm not that terrible or whatever. And I, and I feel like there's so much of that. And that's kind of why the idea of like, when I saw all of these comments, it's like, man, like maybe it's cause I'm older and I've already gone through the, the first or second wave of, of this and seen it and seen <laughs> it play out on such a big scale with, with Tim, which at the time I think as dying, were one of the biggest flag, like carriers for Christian metal. Mm-hmm to see how quickly everyone turned on him. It's like, yeah, that is a snapshot of, I feel life and people, but more so I think this crazy thing I see where it's like, and that is why I feel like so many people don't want to be tagged as a Christian metal band or whatever, a Christian band, because it sets up these unrealistic expectations of who you have to be to people who aren't you. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's so to me that's such an interesting talking point interesting to think about because it's like no i don't see any other prism where people are put on those pedestals and seemingly everyone is so quick to to watch and love the downfall yeah yeah you know it's being a christian band has never been a label that we've put on ourselves we've just we are we are christian and right we that's how we live our lives and you know my faith has been like the most radical has had the most radical impact in my life than anything else. And so that's why it affects our music. And that's why then people, you know, extrapolate from there. Okay. Christian band. But then so many people make that uh, out to be like, that's, you know, uh, like that's the thing, you know, like that's, that's the, um, I'm going to judge you under, um, you need to now fit into my idea of what a Christian band does or is and I can't tell you how many comments we get about like, oh, I hope you're not going down the road of whatever, or oh, you start doing this, and it's just kind of like, you know, you know, it's so frustrating for me as a Christian in in the sense that um, that's not how a Christian should respond. If you actually were concerned for my soul, you know, um, there's so many other things that you could do besides a YouTube comment or a comment on an Instagram post, you know, like when I found out about Tim, I was broken for the man because this is a man who is in a dark place 
who like fell into some really messed up and evil stuff. And the problem is, is that Christians, like you said, that it's because they're building up an idol. They're building up, this is a king. This is our representative, you know? It's just like with people with political parties, you know, like that's our guy. He represents me. And it's just like, to be honest, there are very, very few people in this world that I would say they represent me um, because um, I need to know somebody pretty well for me to go, <laughs> this guy represents me and what I believe and what I'm about. Um, and that's why, you know, that's what that's what people do, unfortunately, to guys like Tim or to guys in other bands, maybe like Jake from ABR. And you're you're putting a burden on these guys that no one was designed to bear in that way. And it's actually unfair um, to them and to you, you know, whoever's doing that. And that's I've really tried my best to not I don't want to be that guy. I, yeah. I'm not trying to position myself as like, like you said, a flag waver for, for, for people in that way. I would rather people see me as, you know, there's a, there's a really old famous quote um, from a theologian where he says, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. I want to be seen like that. That's how I want people to see me. I'm not the strongest, the smartest, the best X, Y, or Z. I'm just a broken needy person who has found uh, this gr like uh, a place to eat per se, you yeah. know. And I just want to tell you where I found food. I'm not telling you to hey check me out how awesome I am or model your life after me or you know. I'd rather people see the one who's actually giving out the bread who in me it, it, it as I see it is Jesus, you know. And so I would rather people see him, and because if he's the object of my faith, I call myself a Christian, yeah. one who's following Christ wouldn't you want the object of your faith to be the thing that you're showing people rather than yourself? And that's what's so dangerous and hard about being in a band and uh, being religious or, or really having any strong message is that you can end up being the person that everyone's looking to. And it's not just in Christianity. There's bands that are like, you know, they're like vegan bands and that's a big thing for them or political bands. And really you end up just putting yourself on this platform that is really easy to fall off of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's uh it's just so interesting and you know I think it, it it's funny that through music I have learned, you know, kind of going back to, you know, what has, you know, music and being around and in the industry like, you know, what has it taught you? And I feel like that was such a, an interesting lesson to learn so early on. I mean, you know, between the Tim thing was such a, a later in life thing, but it's like you look at you know, the Emory dudes were, you know, like with their bad Christian podcast and, you know, getting to know those guys per, like as friends, mm -hmm. just so interesting to see them be them, mm -hmm. be dudes, be dudes who swear, drink beer, maybe some of them smoke. And it was so interesting to just see them finally living their true life and being comfortable to, to share that with everyone. And instead of people looking at that and being like, finding more of a connection, more of a, of a community or, you know, brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever, this bond with these people that they, they like and feel like they've known for so long on a personal level through their music. It was funny to see everyone go, <gasps> you're not who I thought you were. I don't even feel like I know you. And it's like, that is such a wild, <laughs> that is such a wild approach to take. And, but I, I loved, I've loved how they have kind of, done it because i feel like there's more sincerity in 
explaining I don't have the answers and having debates about real life things and kind of taking ownership of, of the platform and kind of being built up, but also kind of going like, man, I don't know anything either. I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. it out too. Let's, let's have this, the conversation, let's have the discourse and try to learn together and, and kind of not, not look at me from up here, but bring it out and balance it. So we're, we're equal. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that can go beyond race, religion, anything, political affiliations. Like, I feel like that's how it should be. We should have, I don't want to have a bunch of people who agree with me on everything. And I'd love yeah. to hear, I love talking to people who have differing opinions than I do, because I'm not going to say I know everything. I actually know probably not a lot, but I love talking to people and learning and, and kind of working through ideas and, and learning from other people's experiences, because I think that is more what life is about. You know, you spend, you know, you spend a, l- a large period of your life, you know, obviously the, the term sophomore is means wise fool, you know? Yeah. And so we spend a lot, a large period of our life as sophomores, you know, you know enough to get by, but you're still foolish. Like you still have a lot to learn. And the best lesson, the best lesson I ever learned, um, you know, and a lot of our record actually deals with this idea, which is um, I had, I had completely misunderstood what the gospel was about. Um, I'd completely misunderstood what I was saying was the foundation of my faith and actually was founded on nothing. It was founded on me in a lot of ways. And once I realized how wrong I could be about like major things, I realized, um, okay, I, I don't know everything. And I'm, you know, you kind of like walk around with rose colored glasses (laughs) because you just don't understand you don't know what you don't know, you know, uh, we call it DK DK. You don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And, um, it's, uh, once I realized that there are a lot of things in that realm, um, it slows you down, makes you, uh, you're not as quick to make judgments about things. You're not as quick to say, I have the answer on things that we can know truth. I do believe that, but, um, you know, I want the things that I believe to be challenged. I love listening to people that have differing opinions than I do. I listen to a lot of atheists, uh, basically like debates, you know, I want to hear how they've come to that conclusion. I have my ideas of how they've come to that conclusion, but I'm really curious to hear that, uh, side of things. Um, because I've been wrong about a lot of things before and I want to, um, if I'm going to talk to somebody about something I have strong convictions about, I also want to be able to be empathetic and understand where they're coming from, how they've come to that conclusion as well. So I think the easiest thing we do, like we've talked about before, whether it's politics or whatever, is you just put people in this little box and we think you know everything about them and how they came to that conclusion. But every person's an individual and they're different, you know? Yeah. I, I think, I think that's the thing that has been as I get older, that has been almost a kind of a relief. Um, and you know, like uh, it's funny, like this has now become just such a talking point and I always feel like a broken record when I say it, but it's like, it's funny, you know, you said coming to the conclusion that you don't know everything and kind of, uh, dealing with, uh, finding differing ways to kind of work through, your own thoughts, beliefs, whatever through somebody else who may have a differing idea or opinion or lifestyle. And it was funny kind of going through therapy, you know, kind of coming to that conclusion of 
you know, looking, realizing people are people. Um, I think one of the biggest ones for me has been realizing that my parents are people that I've grown up and realized that, you know, at 24, they had me and looking back at 20, when I was 24 and be like, shit, I was not ready to, I I don't even think I would be ready to have a child now. Um, (laughs) but it's one of those where it's like, I at 24 wouldn't have been responsible to have a child. I mean, I guess you figure, like you said, kind of figure it out as you go. There's no handbook when you get a child, it's like, okay, here's your newborn and the book on how to raise it. Like that. It's just not (laughs) how it is. But that in all of that, that, you know, everyone's just trying to do the best they can, but at times when you look back and kind of, at least for me, when I look back at my parents as being people, I realize that maybe that they're not able to look at me that way. Mm. Like where I become a person, I become my own person and to kind of communicate with me that way that it's, it's still, I'm always the kid. I'm their mm-hmm. kid. I'm a child in their eyes. And it's, it's kind of caused some contention uh, mm-hmm. currently that we're, I'm kind of working through with that with, with my dad, but it, it's one of those that it's interesting to kind of start looking at people that way, kind of start looking at different things through that same prism where you're like, okay, like I don't know everything. Let me kind of try to, to communicate with people. And I feel like that's as I get older and that's what drew me to this is, you know, so many people are just locked into this we have the world's information literally at our fingertips, but people won't spend the, I'm actually going to go back to like when I was in school, I feel like I always had to show my work. If I wrote a report, I had to include the bibliography on where I got all my sources from. I had to, I had to quote source them. I had Mm -hmm. to, so you can fact check me Mm -hmm. when I was doing anything like math, show me your math. How did you get here? Mm Mm-hmm. I come from that world. So it's funny that we live in a world now where none of that exists seemingly. And it's just so funny to traverse life where I almost have this want to go back to that, to go back to communicating with people, not over a phone where I, you can hear the tone. Mm-hmm. And you can, I can let you speak at length. And I feel like we, I am searching for that. I want yeah. that that I had as a kid I wanted I guess the freedom I guess it, it seems like we have so many freedoms now but it almost seems to have limited us to have stunned yeah. us in so many other capacities of our lives that I feel like now at almost 40 I feel like I have this thirst for wanting to be free and wanting to be a better person to strangers and to different people because hopefully like I was reminded, and I know I'm kind of going all over, but this is kind of tied. I had a bad fast food experience, and I saw on Facebook, it pulled up this thing where I go, I started to go to the person with a shitty attitude, being like, I'm mad, you fucked up my order, and now, like, I want repercussions. Like, I want 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 to be, like, made to feel like you admit that you were wrong and make my thing right. But instead of going up like that, because I've worked in food and I've had people do that, and my immediate reaction is to to shut down and, and meet that same energy, I walked up and I was like, "Hi, you know, I, uh, I, my order is wrong. Is there any way to just, you know, I, it was missing this or whatever?" And the lady was like, "Met with the same attitude. Absolutely. Hold on, let me make that right for you." Handed it back to me. You know, gave me something extra. Didn't need to. And I was like, "Thank you." And then she was like, thank you for not being mean and yelling at me over (laughs) burger or whatever. And I was like, it really is 
that simple sometimes to just step outside of yourself for like two seconds and kind of treat the situation and more importantly, people mm-hmm. sense of humility and, and compassion. Yeah. You'd be surprised at how yeah. it changes everything. My mom gave me a piece of advice a long time ago when I was a teenager. And she said, regardless of the circumstance, if you're dealing with a, a you know, a business or somebody at a bank or anything like that, like you're talking any sort of customer service, she said, always start by saying, could you help me out? And it completely changes because like, that's what they're there to do is to serve you. And it's almost like you're letting them know like, Hey, I need your help. And I can't get, I can't do what I'm trying to do without you. Can you help me? And really it it gives people the opportunity to just take ownership. And uh, yeah, I've like to this day, you know, you know, if you call customer service or anything, when you do that, it really does kind of change the mood because they're answering the phone thinking what jerk just called me (laughs) and what is he about to just like unload on me, you know? And when it's like, Oh, they're not treating me like an enemy. Yeah. It is, it is crazy, but exactly. I mean, you do learn, you learn that when you're on the other side of it. And unfortunately, just like, uh, you know, like you were talking about with everything with the, the downfall of Asley dying and Tim, it's like you sometimes you can't empathize until you've actually done something similar or you can see a correlation. And that's what's so sad is that's what it takes for us sometimes. Like you said, I worked in food service. I know what it's like, you know, it's just like when waiters tip waiters well, you know, whereas there are people who have lots of money that may not tip waiters well, it's because yeah. they don't get the job, you know, We're yeah. just so, and that's what social media has done is just put the blinders even tighter, you know, to where it's like, don't even, you don't even have to acknowledge they're a human being. Yeah. Just treat them like an avatar. I mean, I, I feel like that's, I feel like that's like what we become is basically an avatar of ourselves. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just so interesting. Um, and that was why, like, you know, it's funny. Cause like I was trying to, usually I find Twitter is like a great place to kind of get a sense of who someone is because typically like, you know, especially touring people, you're interacting with the people, your friends uh, mm-hmm. in a way that is probably exactly how you interact when you see them, you know, the inside jokes on and so forth. I feel like, it can give you a really good indicator of kind of how someone actually is. Yeah. Um, but it was funny cause I was trying to find you and I could not find you. So I don't either a, you don't have a Twitter or you have it under something that I could not find uh, in spite of my best sleuthing skills. But it was just kind of interesting to sometimes to see, to see that and feel like I I'm finding a lot more people being less on, on social media now. And I'm like, must be nice. And, you know, kind of going back to that thing I was saying earlier, the power of no, you know, I feel yeah. like if you, it's about managing the expectations, I guess at that point, like if you are like, I don't have social media, I feel like there are some band people who get pressured into it. Like I saw West Borland recently got a Twitter again. Cause he goes, well, I need to get one because of things that are coming up that will be named later. But it's one of those where it's like, if that's not you and you don't want to be an online persona or an avatar of yourself, then don't. Like yeah. it's not going to impact you really if you don't choose to interact with it. But I do find it interesting that there is this sense of like, I have to have these things mm-hmm. like, no, you don't. Yeah. I remember 
when we first we got a, our first manager before we were signed, you know, for a year, they were them and the guys in the band were on me about like, why don't you have an Instagram? Why don't you have a Twitter? You know, and I'm just like, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't really know. Like, I, I, my brain doesn't think that way. I don't think, I don't have a thought that's interesting and go, oh, let me throw that on Twitter. Honestly, I, I write it in a notebook or I tell who the person that's with me, you know, um, that's just the way my brain works because I don't think about these things as for everyone, you know, um, and maybe some of it's insecurity, you know, that it's like, I don't find myself to be that interesting or important. Um, but I think I just kind of look at it very plainly. It's not, it's not humble and it's not insecure. It's just, I just think that's not interesting to people. I just, I just came up with probably how you feel about social media based on something you said earlier. It's not the right tool for the job. Yeah. You're, Man, look at that full circle. <laughs> it. This is what makes you a, a podcaster. That's that's your tool right there. Um, yeah, but you're right, you know, because when I think about it, if I want to connect with people, that's not I already do that with our music. Yeah. You know, I do that at the live show. Um, I'll, I'll talk to anybody. I don't care if it's I don't care if it's the bouncer, you know, security, you know, I'll talk to anybody at, at a show because I can relate with them then. But the thing that I hate is that there's so many people I've met on tour and so many bands we've toured with who I know would never hit me up on social media because of what they could find out about our band, meaning uh, we're a Christian band. They'd never talk to us, Mm. you know, and I've had so many amazing conversations with guys on bands, uh, guys in bands on tour that come from a totally different place than I do. You know, I've had guys tell me, well, I can't believe in Christianity because I believe in aliens. I'm like, well, okay, well, let's talk about that. I'm like, what do the two things have to relate? You know, Um, you know, and I've so it's like, like, but we'd never have that conversation. It would end up being just like really ugly and stupid if it was on Twitter, you know. So, yeah, it's the wrong tool. It's the wrong tool for for the job. Yeah, I remember talking to uh, Ryan from Fit. And he was saying that, you know, they definitely, they have straight up not gotten tours because of being labeled a Christian metal band. And I was like, really? Oh yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Like, you know, and it's, it's so weird. Cause at the end of the day, to me, it's like, is your band rad? Are you good people? Are you good to tour with? Why does anything else matter? Yeah, it is a weird thing. We've heard it plenty too. And, you know, at first it's kind of jarring, but we've gotten used to that. And, you know, I think, you know, I think it is a little backwards when it comes to kind of the rationale of what makes the type of music that we're all playing what it is, you know. Um, And what's strange to me is, you know, this idea of like, you can't do this because of this. That sounds like the antithesis of punk, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's like that's what's kind of founded this whole like world that we're in um so but i'm not i'm not gonna run around waving that flag people have every (laughs) right to to choose what band they want uh on tours and so you know i I, it is it is goofy but at the same time you know hey 
they've got that right. If you're the headliner, you can have whoever you want on the tour. Uh, that's, that's your prerogative. And so hopefully we just find opportunities with fans that, that uh, would give us a chance, you know, do uh, I know, I know you're obviously your newest kid is younger. Have you had your kids out to shows yet? Have they seen? Yeah, you- they haven't. So, you know, obviously the last shows we played were in 2019 and um, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, my kids are five. And so my son, Philip was born during lockdown. So my kids were too young at that time. They're now at the age where, you know, they love our music. They call it daddy songs, <laughs> songs you know? Um, and so I'm excited for them to come get, because they love watching. Like I put live performance stuff on, on YouTube, on our TV all the time for the kids. And as soon as I turn that on, they're like, they think it's the coolest thing in the world. And I'm just like, man, I hope that they can come watch us play, you know? Um, so that's the hope that we'll be able to do that now that things are opening up now. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, talking to Brian from Shadows Fall and, you know, they were just doing those reunion shows uh, recently. And, you know, I was talking about how, you know, just do they know what daddy does? And she was there like, yeah, kind of the same thing. Like they're like, oh, they're, they're kind of into it, whatever. But like now they're they're of the age where they can kind of understand a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool when they played the show. He posted some photos of him bringing his kids out on the stage. And I'm like, you know, that's gotta be, especially when they can remember it, you know, that's mm-hmm. got an interesting thing, you know, going to some of these warp tours and you see, you know, people with their kids and bringing the kids like on stage and, you know, having gotten to see that on one of the last warp tours, just that perspective of everything and, and having, the opportunity at times to kind of get some of those perspectives. It's like, I know to me, just seeing my friends kind of playing and seeing what they see is crazy. And it's, it's so interesting to, to see the behind the scenes stuff that I can't imagine getting to kind of look at something that maybe you're jaded to through the wonderment of a child's eye where it's like, everything is exciting. Even like watching someone set up an amp or whatever, it'd be like, Oh, that's, that's so interesting and fun. And I want to go watch that person. And you might be like, Oh, that's just, that's Ted. That's our tech. Like whatever. He's just doing what he does. Like, yeah, big deal to you, but to see it through a kid's eyes, maybe gets you a little bit more of that, uh, kind of refills and re-energizes the love and, and of the love of it like you did when you first started doing it before you kind of became a bit more of a jaded touring musician. Who's like, (laughs) man, like the hurry up and wait game. Yeah. Well, it is, it is cool. You know, like I have all, I built a little studio downstairs in my basement and my kids will come down and they love pressing my pedals and (laughs) playing with the whammy and, you know, and it, it is cool. It's like fun to just see them just like enamored with it. And it does kind of, it does kind of wake up my creativity a bit to just go like, man, this is so cool and wild, you know? Um, and so it, it is, it is kind of invigorating to see that. Um, kind of last question, I guess for you, <clears throat> cause I feel like I've, I've taken up quite a bit of your time already. That's right. What, um, cause you, you had just said you haven't played any shows since, since the pandemic. How do you, how do you imagine, have you thought about your first show back? Like, have you kind of, I guess, maybe mentally prepared for it and what it will mean 
to kind of get back to that aspect of your life? To be honest, it'll probably feel like going through puberty again. Uh, it's going <laughs> to be like a little weird, like, and it's, it's going to feel, uh, it's going to feel familiar, but a little like trying to like get your, get your bearings again, you know, cause it's just a whole other world. Like playing music on stage and performing is not like any other thing that I do in my life, you know? Um, and so it's, it's like the adrenaline, like you're, you also have to like learn how to harness the adrenaline. Cause you know, like, I, I don't know if you were ever in bands, but like those early years, like there's all that adrenaline and you've you blown up the first three it. songs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything's too fast. Everything's like early, you know? Um, and so it's cause when the set starts, when you first start playing music, it feels like, it feels like somebody turned on the brightest light in the world and you're just like, you know, that's what it feels like. And so, you know, we, we've actually, we've played together. We haven't performed in front of an, an audience, but we've played together um, recently. And that's what it, it felt like that a little bit. And I was like, Oh man, like I need to, I need to work this out a little bit. Cause <laughs> I mean, I, at home I'm singing and playing all the time, you know, whether I'm practicing the songs or just writing music, but it's not the same. It's nope. not the same. No, that's why I thought it was funny. You know, every, every band now has like Twitch and they're doing that. And it's been funny. Like I know a tree when they were getting ready for their tour, you know, they would sometimes do the full band rehearsal thing, do a Q and a, whatever. And then some nights it would be like Porter learning the set or learning different songs. So he's been more of a vocalist in the band now. So it's funny to just watch him sort of try to get into it and give the performance that he knows how to do and tap into but it's like, but I'm home. And like, yeah. that was, that was like the funniest part of it to me was watching him. And, you know, as the, the aggressive vocalist in the band to watch him like scream. And I'm just literally sitting there thinking about him being in his home and his wife's probably in the other room and maybe his mom or whatever. And I'm like, what a fucking weird thing to just be like, yeah, it's a dude. And he's playing the songs I love and I know, and I'm really excited too. But then it's like, you're in your home screaming and like, yeah. no one can't, no one can hear what you're hearing in your headphones while you're performing. Yeah. So then it kind of just demystifies and takes all of it. At least for me where I'm like, Oh, that's so goofy. That's so goofy to think about. And probably is exactly how it is for me doing this. Like potentially my wife can probably, if, she, if she's here when I'm doing them, it'll be like, you're loud. Why were you laughing so much? And I'm like, Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. You only hear <laughs> one part of the side of it. Yeah. And it probably is very weird and dumb. <laughs> it is weird. Yeah. I mean, I practice our set right here. I stand up with my guitar. I turn the lights off and get the mood. I, I try to make it feel like, you know, <laughs> try and get that, that feel a bit. And to be honest, you know, once I got past the, what, you know, whatever everybody else is hearing upstairs, it actually is a lot of fun. And, you know, if I knew I was being filmed, I wouldn't have any fun. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I don't. I, I don't do well with that stuff. You could ask our our uh, our director who does all of our videos. He's always trying to figure out ways to get me to interact with the camera more, and I'm just so I'm so bad at because I just like I'm just like, dude, it's me. Like, what? <laughs> nobody wants nobody wants that frame, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, it is yeah, it is a weird thing, you know. I had to get over that when I first got married, you know, like tracking vocals. And my and my wife's gonna hear me like 
Uh, it's a weird thing. Oh, I mean, I find it funny. My wife pretty much does not think I'm funny. Uh, and <laughs> everyone else is like, your husband's so funny. Like, I will go out to a bar, we'll hang out with people, and I'll have people laughing the whole time. Just and then like so when i do get her to pop and i like can get her to laugh i'm like yes <laughs> like i know it was good but yeah it's uh it's one of those where a lot of people like i remember one of her friends was like oh it must be i, I would just i it must be so nice to have someone who can make you laugh all the time she was like and i just go no she doesn't <laughs> laugh like i would say 90 percent of the shit that i say or that i think is funny she just like i was watching stepbrothers yesterday i knew i had like an hour before i was gonna go i was eating lunch and i was like i'll just pop this on who cares she comes out. She goes, this movie is so stupid. And she goes, it's not funny. I go, it is so funny. And then she's like, it's not funny at all. Like they're not funny. And I go, I go, I just had the epiphany. Like how brilliant of a pitch for this movie. Like, okay, two divorced parents with single kids. And they go through all the trials and tribulations of having to get acclimated with each other, but they're 40 year old men. <laughs> Now put it through that prism. Like, holy shit, how fucking smart is that? And how funny of an idea it is. And to watch it when I had, when it, as I was watching it with that epiphany yesterday and like the weird childlike moments between them when it's like, you're so stupid and da da da. And, you know, like, you know, seeing the childlike ways that they were communicating, I was like, oh, that's so funny. But then to watch them flip it too and be like, yeah, well, I don't like you, you curly headed fuck. Who's the curly headed fuck? You are. And it's like to then have them talk to each other like adults yeah. in the middle of also talking to each other like children. It's just like, yeah. oh, my God, this is this is why it's funny. This is why yeah. it's funny on a different level. And then just to have my wife be like, that's not funny. That's it's not funny <laughs> at all. And you're like, well, that's me like i'm influenced by this and some of like the things that i find funny or my humor is because of this yeah you're like, like if they're not funny then i'm not funny and yeah and i know funny. i'm not funny to you so like yeah whatever but like it's it's so weird and, and you know she doesn't like british humor either like that really dry sarcastic humor like she's not uh, really into that and that's also in like my arsenal of like yeah i will say things or that's where some of my humor comes from as well but it's 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 so funny to to kind of navigate life with a partner and you know we just had a uh, a friend uh, go through a patch where they broke up for a day <laughs> and now they're back together and I guess living with each other after they just moved in or something I don't know but like you know I was reminded of like how nice I have it and a lot of people you know say to my wife and I like oh I, we want a relationship like yours like you guys seem really well. Uh, balance for each other and all this kind of stuff and and you know valentine's day for those that'll listen uh just happened a couple of days ago and it was a thing where i saw a friend post that him and his wife were gonna have tacos at a taco bell dinner kit and then it was uh some valentine's day chocolates or whatever and i saw a couple comments and some people were like oh really splurging for the for valentine's day or whatever and then i wrote on the thing i was like i'd love to see this this is it this is what marriage is it's yeah. not bells and whistles it's not it's not for the show of what you want your relationship to be this is this is this picture to me shows this is a relationship that's well worn in you know who you are you're comfortable with each other and this is just your life and so like the next day, like on Facebook, I posted, I was like, you know, I saw a couple 
saw a couple people posting going all out, you know, the extravagant dinner, getting dressed up and, and you know, that's fine. And, but it feels like it's for clout. It feels like it's for someone other than you. And that's the problem I have with Valentine's day and some other holidays too, where it's like, what about the other 364 days? What does your relationship look like then put in the work? Like, don't talk about what you're doing. The work will show itself by the time mm-hmm. you have invested into it. And so I posted, I was like, you know, I saw a bunch of people, you know, saying this, I know some people are going through some shit. Maybe you're single and you feel awkward or, or whatever. And you haven't found your person. I go, here was my Valentine's day. We're going to run normal errands. Uh, I misunderstood my wife of where we were going. So I started going some way. It was the total wrong way. And then we were having the conversation and she, and you know, I'm just terrible with directions in, in general, but like, I got frustrated. Cause I was like, I at, that's why I asked you, I said, so we're going here, here, here. And then you were like, yes. So then I started and then you're like, you don't know where you're going. You never know where you're going. So then I just, I stopped the car. I got out and I was like, cool, you drive. We're switching done with it. And like, we had a little like 10 minute art, like fight where we didn't talk. And then we started talking about something else. We made our, our way started laughing, joking about something else. We got stuff to make nachos as well. And then went home, watched entourage. We were like laughing about some of that stuff. And I go, that is, that's a marriage. Hopefully you're going to have spats. You're going to have things where you disagree, but hopefully you're able to get over it quickly. You're able to communicate and then move on and have fun. Yeah. But that, that's, that's a real relationship. That's what it really looks like. Not like here's us deck to the nines at a nice place. Like maybe that is your life, but like, that's not mine. And more often the people who have long, good relationships with their spouses, it looks more of like kind of what ours is. And I feel like that's kind of how I grew up too. Like you put in the work and it's not always great. It's not always glamorous, but you're at the end of the day, it's two of you. And that's, that's kind of what it really is about. Yeah. I mean, if, if all that stuff is for an Instagram post, then it's, it's, it's self-serving, you yeah. know, cause the way I've always come to understand what love is, is, um, doing something for someone else at great cost to yourself. Um, mm. that's what love is not, um, what just makes me like, we've turned loved in, into what makes me feel good. It's all about you. And the other person is just kind of like, do they only serve <laughs> what I want? Obviously, you know, you want to, you want to, if you're going to love somebody, you want to pick somebody that like you, you do care about and that you see value in and you see like um, things that you like. Um, but when you're saying you're going to love somebody, that's really at the epitome of what love does is that it, it serves somebody else, you know? And so, yeah, if everything you're doing is for an Instagram post, or cause it's going to make you look like an awesome person or to make it look like, look how much he loves me or look how much she loves me. You yeah. know, um, that's kind of a bummer because <laughs> yeah, you're kind of missing out on the best part of really what, yeah, love is supposed to look like, you know, but there are people I'm sure that go out, like my wife and I, we're just like, we're pretty simple, casual homebodies. We don't celebrate Valentine's day. Uh, no, no knock to anybody that does. It's just it kind of the same principle you said is like, I don't, I don't want this one day to, to define, to define. Yeah. What our yeah. relationship is. I would rather our life together should define that. And if I'm not loving you well, you know, on a Tuesday, um, you know, at 7 PM, <laughs> you know, like in August, <laughs> what, what's going to change it, 
you know, in, in February, you know, on this special day. So like you said, yeah, it's just putting in that work every day. And that's what it, it is hard, but it's a really awesome thing to be able to share with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, sorry, Brandon, I just saw a bird fly like right in front of my window. Um, <laughs> I need to cut this tree down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, uh, I know I tried to end this earlier and then I'm like went on a whole nother side tangent, but that's the fun thing about podcasts. I think is, uh, just, uh, getting to talk at length and explore ideas and, and side tangents and all that. And just kind of, hopefully uh get to know each other uh because that's that's the fun thing for me of doing this is just getting to communicate with essentially strangers and try to find something to talk about and just have a, a good time communicating but also for those that listen to maybe hear and learn about you in a completely different facet than possibly what is out there uh yeah based on you're a guitar player you're in a band you're you're a christian <laughs> and you're married uh and then discuss one of those three or four topics uh at yeah. so i always uh, enjoy when uh people are willing to kind of go on a long form journey with a complete stranger and just uh open up and, and be honest and, and sincere uh so yeah well i mean that, this felt like tour to me uh yeah. you know you just meet somebody you didn't know and you end up having a conversation about like a million things and you know i i yeah it's cool i mean i i like doing this kind of stuff so and it's also like you said it's nice to yeah just talk from different angles and these aren't things i'd ever think of saying and hopefully they're things that are interesting to people informative um yeah or yeah at the very least just interesting help you get help you make your way on your commute to work you know <laughs> yeah absolutely well uh, enjoy the rest of your day and i'm sure we'll we'll talk soon yeah sounds good thanks john so that was my conversation with steve from wolves at the gates uh again want to thank the time to thank him for uh, spending about an hour and a half with me. Um, no, we kind of got into a lot of interesting topics uh, in that time frame, and some of them uh, maybe a little bit weird uh, for him to talk about. Um, you know, the thing with the Asley dying thing, and kind of talking more about being a Christian in a quote unquote Christian band, and the expectations that kind of are heaped on you because of the community that you are in and find yourself in, as well as being a professional musician, and some of the I guess it's limitations or downfalls, I guess. I mean, to me, it's like when I, you know, look back at a lot of the music that my wife and I listened to, you know, it was a lot of the solid state and tooth and nail bands and a lot of the Christian hardcore scene, even though my wife and I were not a part of that community in any way, shape or form. Um, so, I mean, it, it is kind of weird that, you know, like I look at it and I'm just like, oh, it's good music. And then, you know, the lyrics uh, sometimes are a little more thought provoking as to, where they're coming from or how they apply to life or whatever. And it is interesting to kind of think about how some people will. And as I said, after reading comments, how some people are so it's great to see a band that, you know, spreads the word of, of, of God, of Jesus, of, of these things. And I just kind of feel like it's like, man, that is some lofty, like that is some lofty weight put on you uh, to, to kind of feel like for some people, this is why you're here. And I'm not saying it's not, but sometimes I feel like we get too wrapped up in in a message in a song or what it's supposed to be and, and kind of building up our musicians and so forth and, and kind of building, uh, I guess, idols uh, to a degree. Um, I know Andrew from uh, Dance Gavin Dance and Idola kind of talked about that with some of the lyrical themes of, of their latest record. Um, but 
again, just really thankful to Steve for taking the time and being upfront and honest about a lot of these things. Uh, that's always kind of the weird thing when, when doing these sometimes is, you know, I, I want to have a great conversation and I want to just talk to someone, but I don't think sometimes people realize how hard it is to kind of build a, a relationship with someone to feel comfortable enough to kind of talk about some of these bigger talking points with someone that you've never met. Um, so I want to thank Steve and I'm very excited for everyone to hear this record uh, as of right now of when I'm recording this and when this will come out, you'll have uh, about, you'll have about two weeks uh, before you'll get to hear the rest of this record. Uh, if you haven't heard the singles already, they are, you know, on the various DSPs. You can go to YouTube, see the videos they put out so far. Uh, I think if you're a fan of this band, you will definitely be a fan of what they're doing currently and some of the steps that they've taken to kind of grow their sound a little bit more on this album. But uh, I'm very much looking forward to their fans possibly hearing this chat, hearing this new record. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to this beer I got. Uh, I went out earlier with my wife. She wanted to go get a piece of cheesecake. Um, and I, the place we go to is also like a really great beer wine store as well. Uh, almost everything they have there is craft in nature. So craft, uh, like handmade mac and, mac and cheeses, handmade uh, cheesecakes and so forth. Like it is a really great little hidden gem here in Grand Rapids called Martha's Vineyard. If you are ever in the area, go check it out. Uh, always great, delicious things there. Um, but I found this short fuse brewing company, Worms and Dirt. Um, and if you are like me and you're basically a grown child, uh, you remember probably eating a lot of worms and dirt as a kid. Uh, and if you do not know what I'm talking about, potentially for the foreign people who may, maybe it's not called that. I, you know, I've, I've learned that some things just don't translate from, from the States overseas. They call them different things and so forth. But, um, this worms and dirt, basically it's a, an Oreo kind of pudding thing typically. And then you put, uh, the worms, quote unquote, they're just gummy worms. Uh, but this is basically an imperial style with Oreos, vanilla bean, and gummy worms uh, thrown into basically a, a beer. Uh, so I saw that and I was like, how can I not? So first sip going right here. So I definitely get the, uh, oh, there it kind of is at the end. Uh, I definitely get the, the Oreo kind of more like that chocolatey flavor coming through in the, in the stout, which is, isn't a surprise. Um, I'm not really... The gummy worm part, I would assume, would kind of be a sweeter thing on the back end. And maybe when you have the vanilla bean and all that kind of stuff, it's just it's not like a candy flavor. But like I also when I eat my worms and dirt, uh, I save the worms for last and just eat them as is. So um, I don't know if you would be able to. I don't think I've ever actually eaten worms and dirt just as a whole thing. Uh, so I don't think I can actually accurately say if this is what worms and dirt would taste like since I just realized I don't eat it that way. Um, which I guess would beg the question, how do you eat worms and dirt? Let me know when this episode drops, uh, tweet at me at Bruce speak pod, uh, or go to Facebook, Instagram, whatever, or you can email me brutally speaking at gmail.com. Email me, let me know what, how you ate your worms and dirt as a kid. What is a childhood drink? What is a childhood uh, treat from the past that maybe would be an intriguing beer or cocktail or whatever? Uh, let us know. And to start wrapping up this episode, if you would like to keep up with Wolves at the Gate, well, actually, it's really easy. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolves at the Gate. Uh, all the links to pre-order the record are all there, typically. Uh, I don't see a website, uh, but like I said, any link that you find on those various socials will take you to pre-order the new record. I highly recommend you do. Uh, as you heard, uh, Steve is very excited to go out and play some live shows. He hasn't played since 2019, so a lot of bands, I think, are, are kind of building up that anticipation to kind of to go do what they do. Uh, 
um, and are looking forward to doing such. Uh, and if you would like to keep up with uh, Steve, uh, the best way really to kind of do it, I would say, is Instagram. It's the only form of social media I found, and that is at Scobushi, uh, S-C-O-B-U-C-C-I. Uh, you can follow him there. You can see some of the, the amazing craft work he's done uh, with his carpentry skills and so forth. Uh, definitely someone I wished lived a little bit closer to me so I could be like, hey, yo, do you want to pay? Do, can I pay you to like come do some house repairs for me? Because, man, this shit looks real good. Uh, so for the Brutally Speaking podcast, I will talk to you all next week where we have Tyler from Hollowfront joining us. It has been years since he has been on the show, and boy... We kind of kind of reconnect and, and have a really fun conversation. So I'm excited to bring that one to you next week. Hope you all have a great week. Talk to you then.